Who Are You? by Derek Jensen. There's really only one question in life, and only one lesson. This question is whispered endlessly to us from all directions. The moon asks it each night, as do the stars. It's asked by drops of rain that cling to the soft ends of cedar branches, and by teardrops that cluster at the fold of your nose or the edge of your mouth. Frogs, flowers, stones, pieces of broken plastic, all ask this of each other, of themselves, and of you. The question, who are you? The lesson, we're born or sprouted or hatched or congealed, or we fall from the sky, we live and then we die, or are worn away or broken or disperse into a river, a lake or sea, ripples flowing outward to bounce back from the far shore. And in the meantime, in that middle, what are you going to do? How are you going to find and be who you are? Who are you and what are you going to do about it? Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I'd like everybody to please place your palms together and gasho. And on the count of three, let's all wish Shinge Roshi a very happy birthday. One, two, three. Happy birthday, Roshi. Okay, right on. She's not here to celebrate with us in person, so we'll have to offer as our gift our unflinching, wholehearted zazen. And she'll know if we're being stingy. So let's please do our very best. It's very interesting and somehow appropriate that I would be asked to give a talk on Shinge Roshi's birthday because I am not a happy birthday kind of guy to the point where I have a reputation for it here at the monastery. For many years, there was not a single person who lived here who actually knew my birthday. I think Kanchi may have figured it out once. To my chagrin, yeah. You brought cupcakes and I was mad. July 24th, by the way. I never really liked happy birthday. It seemed strange to me. It seemed like I was being forced to celebrate on somebody else's agenda, being forced into somebody else's box. Just wanted to be left alone, really. That was me. It's different now. And really, to be against birthdays, obviously, is really a stupid thing. First of all, it's my own reactivity. It's my own projection. That much is very apparent. But when we look at it, Everything that we're doing here, we're saying happy birthday many, many, many times each day. When we're in gasho, when we bow, in prostrations, chanting, zazen, and our attention. Many happy birthdays, moment to moment, continuous birthday celebration, born again into every moment 
So it's really at the core of that phrase. It's an invitation to wake up and love each other. Yesterday would have been Edo Shimano Roshi's 90th birthday. And it seems to me that Zen is often full of these little coincidences. Now, we could say that there are coincidences or there are no coincidences. Personally, I don't know. I don't know that it matters so much. The point is, of course, these coincidences flare up. This is just the magnificent activity of life happening all around us all the time. And occasionally we get these little fun little moments that even we can't fail to notice to remind us just how extraordinary, just how mysterious this life really is. Now, if their birthdays had been on the same day, that might have been just a little bit too cute, don't you think? We might have been deluded by the spectacle of that. This dharma of coincidence, or however we might put it. I like the fact that they're perfectly askew that they're two birthdays, one day apart. So the Dharma connection is apparent, but there can be no mistake. One connection, but two individual lives. We are all responsible for our own lives in the same way that we are all gathered here together, responsible for seeing that one connection. We are profoundly interconnected, profoundly interdependent, and at the same time, individuals practicing together in this space that comes down to us through however long it's been, 2,600 years of Buddhist practice and beyond. That's really what we're doing here. And it hardly bears repeating or rather I should say, it goes without saying, but of course I will say that in being here, we're opening to this extraordinary mystery of life. Through the little moments, the happy birthdays, the subtleties that make up our day-to-day -day activity. And we're giving our hearts, our minds, our whole beings, our imaginations, that is opening our imaginations, to all of this completely. We're giving ourselves a free range in which to explore what this is all about, this business of being alive. And we're depriving ourselves of a chance to get stuck in all of the things that usually get us stuck. So a birthday is a powerful thing. We don't get to choose our birthday, but we all have a birthday. We're all alive. We're all breathing together. And really, I could stop this talk right there, but that would be a cop-out. So I'll go on a little more. We have no other choice than to be in fundamental accord with our birthdays, with the rhythm and flow of our lives. And it's in this space that true discovery can begin. Who is it? Who is this birthday person? Who is it who is celebrating? 
who is singing and dancing and eating cake. And I'm told that Shinge Roshi and some of the, the uh, Zen Center of Syracuse residents are doing that right at this very moment. This talk was supposed to be broadcast and I'm ever so thankful that it isn't. So with your heartfelt happy birthday wishes, please cloud her sense that all I'm really doing here is confusing you a little more. So this question, who are you? Or to put it better yet, who am I? To me, this is really the question of our lives. It's certainly the question of my life. It's the question that brought me here to this monastery and be sitting in this spot here today. It's really at the heart of everything that we're here to do, here to find out. It's the thing, certainly again for me, that animates my own practice. It's at the center of the, the koans come down, that come down through the ages for all the masters, grabbing us by the guts, demanding to know what we understand about it. It's the great doubt. A burning question, a yearning for an understanding that we know we may not have, but we know there is an understanding to be had. And we all ask this question in our own words. We all speak our own language in this way, and yet we're all of one mind. We go our whole lives sometimes, some of us, without ever realizing that we're asking it. But we are asking it. It's always there. And so we're so fortunate to be here to ask this question together, to delve into this great matter in support, in love, and in determination. This is vital. This is absolutely vital. Now, more materially, we could say, what is my relation to my fellow human beings? What is my place in this world? What is this world? How do I fit into all of this? This is really the question that I was asking myself as I was floundering about in my life, my life, however many years ago it was now, looking for something to help me stay upright. Now, before I go any further with that, I do want to say a couple of words, and just a couple of words, about our author today, Derek Jensen. Now, he's not a Zen master. He was not in the dedication that was read by Inosan. He's not really a known quantity. The text that I read is the opening paragraph of an essay from a collection of his called Walking on Water, which is a collection of reflections on his time teaching English at a small college in the Pacific Northwest. Um, now, Derek Jensen is known primarily as an environmentalist, and I would say a pretty radical fringe sort of guy. And I mainly mention that just in case you're ever looking through one of his other books and wondering why he's talking about blowing up a dam with maybe just a little too much zeal. And in jest from the little bits and pieces of his other work that I've read, but there's a little something else there that does not concern us today. 
And I don't really know his work, but I know this piece. Some of you know that eons ago, I was a writing instructor. I taught composition and rhetoric at Syracuse University and a few other places. And it was in that context that I stumbled across this essay. Because what Jensen is really trying to do in this piece, and we won't really go so much into the rest of it, you can take my word for it. What he's doing in this piece and in this opening paragraph is to challenge his students to discover the possibilities in their lives beyond the limitations of their imagination, the limitations of the received wisdom that comes from all directions, from outside of ourselves. And I think crucially, too, he's teaching his students that it's okay to fail, to stumble and fall and get up again. It's okay not to know, not to have an answer to that question. And it's okay to pursue it, not knowing if you'll ever arrive at one. So in the context in which this question is put, who are you, who am I? It's both a material question, what will I do with my life? And it's a spiritual question. What is this? Atta Deepa. To put it yet another way, how do we actualize ourselves in the field of our experience? How do we get down to the root, the true expression of our nature? And how do we bring that out into our everyday life, into the world in which we're born? How do we share it? How do we acknowledge the light that we share together? And there is a certain resonance in the passage that I read with the Diamond Sutra, which you'll be hearing over the course of this week. I say you'll be hearing it because I will not be there. I'll be over there listening very closely and uh, reveling in your wholehearted chanting of the Diamond Sutra and sharing in that beautiful post-Diamond Sutra sit. Enjoy yourselves with that one. So yeah, I discovered Derek Jensen at a time when I was trying to do very much the same thing in my own teaching. Um, I was struggling and trying to find out what this world is all about. What am I doing here? Why don't I seem to fit in with all of this? Why do I feel so out of step? Isn't there something more? Who am I? And so I asked this question. When I was a writing instructor, I would ask this question of my students on the first real day of class, after everybody knows that the first day of class is going over the syllabus and doing all that kind of thing. First real day of class was a free write. Who are you? Write about that. Now, there were other pedagogical considerations that fell into play. There was a curriculum. But really what I was trying to do was just confront all of us, and myself included, with that question. Because again, especially when you're a young person, it's very easy to paper over that questioning. You might even be aware of the fact that you're asking that question, but it's easy to paper over it with all kinds of distractions. It's very easy to disregard where that questioning wants us to go. And when I gave that prompt to my students, I generally got two distinct kinds of answers. They tend to fall into two categories. 
The first were the students who would write about this question in response to this question, treating the self as a kind of a composite, a mosaic of all the different characteristics. I'm from here, I study this, I enjoy this, that, and the other thing. And that's great. Who can fault that? That is true. No complaints about that, really. And the other category of response to that question came from those students who tended to recognize that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. That within that mosaic, within this constellation of different qualities, there is something indefinable, ineffable, something that can't quite be grasped, but that is so deeply ingrained in the bones that we can't help but notice that it's there. And I used to love receiving that second category, pieces of writing from those kinds of students. Um, these were the ones who were often the most intellectually curious. These were the students who tried the hardest and often the students who I would connect with on a spiritual level. We would talk about Buddhism, meditation, and that kind of thing. And those were wonderful times. Those are really the moments that the curriculum couldn't capture. And it's why I often received astoundingly glowing teacher reviews and sometimes uh, middling performance reviews from my superiors. I don't teach writing anymore. <clears throat> a couple of things that took me longer to appreciate First of all, that the students who sensed that there is something more, who really started to ask that question on a gut level, those are the students who were really in trouble. Because they didn't have the luxury of an easy answer to fall back on. And there was no guarantee that following that question, no matter what, would ever lead to any kind of contentment. It's a tricky thing. It's a difficult thing. And at the same time, to say, I don't know who I am. As wonderful an answer as that is, and sometimes as true an answer as that is, beautiful and pristine, it can also be kind of an easy answer. It can be a license not to investigate any further. I don't know. And it can easily be a cop-out. It can easily be a barrier. Turning away from the real question and just accepting, I don't know, as the end of it. And I've seen people burn out that way. I've seen students come too close to that question without knowing how to proceed and go down the wrong road. And that's fine. It's not pleasant. It's not pleasant to see. But sometimes those are the moments that instruct us the most. And by the same token, those students in the first category who said, uh, I'm from New Jersey and I like football, and didn't have anything more to say about it, those are often the students who are most primed to have their world shattered. And I know we've all experienced that. All of a sudden, there's no ground beneath our feet. And those can be the real moments where we really get into something. So I used to think that those two categories of response to that question were separate and there was one that was better than the other in some fashion. I no longer believe that. Because even being confronted with the question of who am I, who are you, is the first step on the path.
Well, perhaps being born <laughs> might be the first step on the path. Who can say what the first step might be? But certainly to acknowledge that question is absolutely necessary, wherever we might be and our ability to grapple with it. And you can slide by and I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. But it requires real effort. Really intense effort and investigation requires a lot of courage to pursue that question and to try to understand our karmic circumstances and to cut right to the core of our lives. It's hard work. It's the same work that we're doing right here, right here at this moment, even listening, receiving whatever this is. We're doing it. And that's really another key word here, as Jensen reminds us. What are you going to do about it? How far are you willing to go? Do I have the courage to press past my perceived limitations? Do I have the courage to lay it all bare? Do I have the courage to lay my life on the line? Do I have a choice? Not always. A lot of people wearing kesses here can attest to that. This pursuit, this questioning, involves humility. It means entering the arena of practice, the fullness and the richness of our lives, without a recourse to all the habitual patterns of thought that we're so readily drawn to. So this is why we keep coming back to Session, why we keep coming back to residency at Daibosatsu Zendo and elsewhere, why we sit down on the cushion every single time that we're able to make it happen, which I hope is every day. And it's a practice of continuous, unyielding discovery. Really, it's a matter of attention, opening up, having the courage to make mistakes and learn from them. Learning, adapting, unceasing practice of becoming. This is our lives. There's a story that I think many of you know about Shunryu Suzuki, and I'm going to butcher it, but I think probably most of you have read it. I don't remember where I, I read it. It's around. But a student came to see Shunryu Suzuki Roshi uh, at the Zen Center, and he met with the Inji. And the student asked the Inji a question. I don't think it was ever recorded what the question was. It was something a general question about Buddhism, perhaps. The student thanked the Inji and left. The Inji then went to see Suzuki Roshi and he said, do you think he'll ever be back? And Suzuki Roshi said, it's too late for him. He's already on the path. Sooner or later, he'll get it. Or she'll get it. They'll get it. So here we are, we're sitting here, we're listening to me talk, it's cold, it's too late for us, we're goners. Doesn't it feel good? 
We're doing it. We're becoming mighty. We are mighty. And on this special day, October 2nd, 2022, we have to remind ourselves of all the work done by Edo Shimano Roshi, Shinge Roshi, and Soen Nakagawa Roshi, and Yogen Senzaki, all of our ancestral teachers, the people who dedicated their lives, who gave away everything that they had to make sure that we could be here today, sharing in the Dharma. This evening and every evening, we'll be chanting Te Dai Denpo, our lineage chant. Let's try to repay that effort to our utmost gratitude as we chant Te Dai Denpo together. Embody the example set to us by Shinge Roshi, Shigan Roshi, Soryu Zenrin Roshi, Hokuto Osho, all of us together helping each other, teaching each other, helping Daibosatsu Zendo become Daibosatsu Zendo. So we're here in this container. We're asking this question. We're fortunate enough to have perceived that we're asking this question. We were fortunate enough to encounter the Dharma and to be here in this container of Zen monastic training set before us by those who came down and down and down through the years, who had the same question, asked in their own words, but the same burning desire for understanding, who knew that was the only way it could be. And we have this beautiful container with rules and regulations and all kinds of things that for some of us who are here for the first time might seem arbitrary and confounding, one of which is that when I drink tea, you're able to move. So why don't I go and do that? I don't know why, why that's the case. The call and response there, tea, move, weird. But I bet you're thankful for it, my little puppets. And all throughout all of this activity here in the monastery, we're asking this question, who am I? Because we're coming face to face with our reality right in front of us. We're determining, we're discovering who we are in this moment. And we're not holding on to a fixed answer to that question. We're trying to discover what is possible. We're listening for what is possible beyond our wildest imaginations, beyond all the gates that we set up for ourselves, all the voices in our heads that say, I can't do it, I'm not good enough, it's not my thing, I'm not a happy birthday guy, I'm a Tenzo, not a Jisha, so on. And we're resolving to cut through all of that become one with our activity, we discover that before we say anything, we are one with it. Before anything else arises, we are one with it. And it's about being upright, not falling to one side 
or to the other side. And if you're an officer, you can easily see what that's like, what that means. Because at the same time, while we're trying to be in this practice, be in this moment, cast away all of our fixed ideas, we want to be good Zen students. And we want to look cool while we're doing it, don't we? Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. Maybe you wouldn't put it that way, but we all have that voice going through the Zendo, feeling good, feeling cool. You're embodying the practice. Yeah. I know how it is. Ask me to give a Dharma talk. You do this practice for a little while. You start to think about what you'd say in a Dharma talk. <laughs> Everybody here has a Dharma talk inside of them. Not only because you're living, breathing human beings, but because you've thought about it. And that's okay. But the officers, you know what it's like to be stuck in that self-centered mind. Or who are you becomes, I'm a real cool guy. I'm the Jisha. I'm the Tenzo. I'm the guy giving the talk. And what's really interesting is that you can't stay stuck in that for too long. I keep mentioning the Jisha, and that's one of the best roles for really cutting through all of that because you could be doing this for 90 years. There's always something new to learn, some kind of new subtlety to appreciate, something new to have sink into your bones. There's never really time to settle into a firm answer to that question, I don't know, or I'm sorry, who am I? Because it's always, the script is, always, script is always being flipped. The tables are always being turned. I remember the first time I was asked to be Joke for Session, not so long ago, really. Um, maybe it's different now, but in the Jishario, the room adjacent to this one, there's a binder which ostensibly has a printout list for every officer of all of their different session responsibilities. And I remember when I was first asked to be Joke, the session Joke responsibilities list was basically a torn scrap of paper that just said, empty the tea bowl. <laughs> I don't think there was even any punctuation. It was just like a message from God hidden in the Jisha book. So what do you do with that? There's often not time to learn all the rules beforehand. You learn as you go. And to do that, you have to ask questions. I have to ask questions. I certainly do. We have to fail. We have to fall on our faces. I remember one time I was Jisha. It was morning sade. I don't remember how many years ago this was, but uh, it was embarrassingly recent to me. And uh, in, in the darkness of the corner of the zendo, I poured scalding hot tea over Shinge Roshi's hand. So Jisha-san, whatever else you do during this session, you won't top that. <laughs> she was fine. 
But regardless of all that, we're giving it our all. We're going further than we think we can. We never stop asking, what is this? What more is there to do? What can I do? How can I be in relationship with this moment, with this role that I've adopted for this week or this kese? When we do Niten Soji, we don't have a lot of time. And so sometimes, and I'm as guilty of this as anybody, having lived here for many years, I've seen myself do it over and over again. It's very easy to phone it in. You're vacuuming the cushions. Well, there's, what, 25, 30 people here. You don't always remember how the cushions were before you started vacuuming them. And so you just kind of do your best. I don't know. That's eh. okay as far as it goes. We make mistakes. We're human. In the Tenzo, sometimes we put little serving ladles in with the cutlery. We put lids on the roof of the monastery. I don't know. Not my problem. Who am I? Not the Tenzo. <laughs> of course, that's not what we're thinking. But we fall into the same habit. Not that I'm complaining. But when we straighten those cushions, how would it be to come into relationship with this activity, not just carrying out the assignment that we were given, but making sure that there's not a single stray thread, stray speck of dust on that cushion, doing our best, even if we're not always successful, to remember, okay, they had two support cushions stacked on top of a buckwheat zafu. Which direction did the handle face? Okay, and it was about this far away from the edge of the zabutan. Doing our best to leave it just as we found it, with no trace that we were ever there, but in fact, a little better than we found it because we gave it our full attention. We offered ourselves completely to that activity. We were one with that activity. We were one with washing dishes, serving tea, going about every moment of our lives. When we leave here in a week, as most of us will, not all of us, who will we be then? How will we come into relationship with that moment and the one after that? How do we help Daibosatsu Zendo become Daibosatsu Zendo while we're here? And how do we construct Daibosatsu Zendo wherever we stand, wherever we are? Becoming caretakers of the monastery wherever we are. If we can connect deeply with this kind of mind, 
with this kind of investigating, questioning, fearless mind, compassionate mind, then anything is possible. Dropping in and opening our hearts fully, our minds vast, being vulnerable, This is true intimacy. This is true love. And it's true courage to welcome this life without prejudice, our ideas of how things should be, who we should be or what we should be. No judgment, but with humility and a gentle heart. If we can offer ourselves unconditionally offer all of our awareness, all of our effort, give everything away. This is nothing other than love. Love is nothing other than this. And so who am I? What is it that makes us afraid to love? What is it that makes us afraid to connect with others, so-called others, to fully dwell in this light that we share? What makes us turn away from that question, to draw a line in the sand, afraid to discover for ourselves, so it is said anyway, that on the other side of that question, there is no you or I. We're so often afraid to take the leap or even just one step to say happy birthday or to receive it with a heart full of gratitude. I think that true courage can be found in deprivation, the deprivation of our practice. And that is, again, what we're here doing, doing deprivation. I like to think we eat pretty well. Some of the time it's warm. We're here surrounded by friends. but we are not giving ourselves a chance to turn back. We are not giving ourselves a chance to fall back onto the crutches and the things that we use to prop ourselves up and move away from that light, move away from understanding. We're cultivating our great resolve and we're doing it together supporting one another, asking that question together. 
None of us are alone in this. Not in this room, not in this world or universe or any of that. True courage is to dwell in that, I think, and to be in accord with that. Making good on the promise of that connection. I might have the courage to be the Tenzo or the Jisha or pursue my dream job or to be married and have a family. And these are all, these require extraordinary courage. No doubt about it. I mean, this is the real stuff of life. We have to face that. We do. I do. Right now. I just moved to Manhattan, sort of. That required some courage. I'll be here at DBZ all month, by the way. <laughs> it smells better here. But true courage, daily courage, is to kill off all of the lies that we tell ourselves, the delusions, the delusion that we can only go so far and no more, that I am this and not that, you're there and I'm here. Killing off our tendency to stultify our imaginations, think that there can be nothing beyond this little bubble, this little container. Killing off the way that we reproduce the same harmful karma that we find ourselves ensnared by. To reverse the pattern, learn from the pattern, rise above it, transcend it. It's a constant effort, moment by moment. When we ask, who am I? When I ask, who am I? Cutting it off all over again. Killing off that greed, that reaction, that ambivalence that allows this harmful karma to be reproduced in our personal lives, in our society. Having the courage not to know, not just, oh no, I don't know. Bodhidharma is sitting here and he heard me say that and he's judging me. I know, I know, I hear you. But being vulnerable, Accepting that I don't have all the answers and neither do you. And how wonderful is that? Because now we have a chance to investigate together. We have a chance to share this. To do all of this is true love. It's true intimacy. It is the deepest and most profound and most valuable thing that we can ever offer to another human being that we can ever offer to ourselves. To let love unfold as a process of continuous discovery. To do so with those we're close to, with strangers, as well as to ourselves. Who am I? Who are you? We can only do it with our firm resolve 
to our resilience. Unceasing, persistent, full-throated investigation. And so we can always return in the process of that investigation to that infinite space inside. Donge Zedo, John Haber Zenji. Some of you knew him. I never did. He died. He was a monk here. He passed away in 1992. He, uh, among other things, constructed Owan Cabin, which, by the way, there is a student doing a solitary retreat in Owan Cabin right now. Resolve. He also, Donge, began what we now call Healing and Wellness Weekend, which some of us participated in uh, at the end of uh, me, uh, August, it was. And I never knew him, but I've always felt an extraordinary connection with this person. And there is, in extance, a filmed interview with him, speaking about his time here practicing as someone who uh, was HIV positive and who later passed away of AIDS. And what he said to the people who came to him in Healing and Wellness Weekend, which at the time was a space for people who were dying of AIDS, to come here and do their very best to be as well as possible, to learn acceptance, to support each other. He said to his students, I can quote him exactly, this is not on my notes. We can always return to this infinite blue space inside that has nothing to do with terror and nothing to do with fear. And it is always there and always available and it can never ever go away. When I ask, who am I? I turn inward into that space in which there can be no fear. As Chigan Roshi reminded us last evening, a place where there is no hesitation and no knowing, no fixed idea, and where, therefore, anything is possible. Have you felt the love in this room, in this building? You will. It's here. We're here. What is it that holds us back? What is it that keeps us from delving completely into that question? Who is giving this talk? Who is receiving it? Where is the line, the boundary, the limit? It's still day one 
of Golden Wind Session. And there's still daylight. We have plenty of time to go into this question together. We have plenty of time to discover that space inside of ourselves, to reveal that light that we all share. Let's please do our very best, take care of ourselves, take care of each other, never hold back, and never stop questioning.